their, their house. <clears throat> okay. All right, this is uh, week number 18 in Joshua. We're actually covering, once again, we're covering about four chapters, but don't worry, I'm not going to read them all. But we're covering four chapters because these are the chapters where we talk about how Joshua divides up the land. The title this week is called Wasting an Inheritance. So do you think it's possible that grace life might be in danger today? of being a little complacent. I mean, as a church, we certainly have been blessed, haven't we? And we're followers of Jesus. We know God has blessed us, and we know that God has given us the gift of faith that includes the ears to hear the truth when he calls us. And frankly, we know personally that we have received massive benefits from following Jesus of forgiveness and, and redemption and, and restoration and healing. We have experienced ourselves and witnessed in others amazing transformation. Our little church is growing. The ministry is expanding. We have this building that we keep making better all the time, incrementally, step by step. And corporately, as a group, we have, in the last few years, we've accomplished a lot. Now, some individuals in our church have carried much of the burden, and I'm being honest, I know you are legit tired. But there are many reasons a community of believers, like Grace Life, can fall into the trap of complacency and laziness and even selfishness. Every church, no matter who you are, every church comes to a moment and a place where its people are tempted, listen, to become consumers of their inheritance of grace rather than proclaimers of it. The question is, is that okay sometimes? And if not, is grace life about to face a season of temptation like this? I want to start off with some historical thing. I want you to see that Joshua divides the land here. And bring up this map. I want you to see this map. So what happens if you read through the rest of chapter 13, verse 8, through chapter 19, you begin to see how Joshua gives certain parts of the land to different tribes. So after years of progress, Israel now has effective control and power and authority over all the land that God has given them. But we did learn there were some lands that were not conquered yet. And in chapter 13, verse 8, through chapter 19, Joshua, following God's divine command and guidance, he divides up both the lands that are already seized and those that have not been yet conquered, and he divides them among the tribes. And this map shows how their inheritance was divided. Now all these tribes need to do is go and take the land. And God has commanded each one of these tribes, as you go into the land that has been given to you, you and your different regions, whether you're Judah or Gad or Ephraim or Reuben or the tribe of Simeon or Naphtali or Asher, whatever tribe you're in, this is all you have to do. Go and take it. And when you do, make sure it's a complete takeover. Because remember, the sins of the Canaanites, as we learned from a few weeks ago, had become full. We learned how the Canaanites who were living in that land they were people that were fully 
they weren't just people who were lost and looking for truth, okay? They were people who were fully committed to the most obscene forms of evil and wickedness you can imagine. And they are beyond hope. And what happens next after the dividing of the land sets in motion, sadly, generations of Israel's slow, spiritual, tragic decay. So once they got into their land, they got comfortable. And they begin to find excuses not to carry the burden of obedience any longer. And instead of living out their purpose, which God had called them to, them to the people of Israel slowly embraced the very same evil as the Canaanites. They chose to live with them. Joshua 13, 13, look at this. But the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the whoever they are. But Gesher and Makath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. Joshua 15, 16, 3. Here's another example. Or 1563. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that was the city before it became Jerusalem. The people of Judah could not drive out, so the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Not only that, some of the tribes. Not only did they not drive out the wickedness, they began to use their inheritance as ways that were oppressive to others and using them for their benefit. Joshua 16.10, look what it says here. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor or turned into slaves. This is such... This, this pattern of failure of obedience by the, by the Israelite tribes who were given this land, just go and take it. And remember, God said, I will conquer it for you just like I did the others. I promise I'll do that. Their failure is so colossal, it's pointed out repeatedly. Look at this next slide. I'm not going to read them all. It's it, the same thing. They failed to drive them out. In Judges 1, in Judges 2, in Judges 3. So the very next book, the first three chapters, all give reference to tribes who failed to drive out evil in the land that they had inherited. Again, we see it in 1 Kings 11, and then in Psalm 106, there's a song about how Israel failed to drive out evil. So what happened? Slowly, Israel developed devastating addictions to Canaanite idolatry, immorality, sexual trafficking and exploitation, human slavery, and yes, believe it or not, human and child sacrifice. That's how bad it was. From temple prostitutes to human exploitation, both sexually and economically, all of it made its way into Israel's culture. And Judges 17, believe it or not, Judges 17 actually gives an example of a man who started his own orgy-based religion and then hired a Levite priest to run it for him. But thankfully, as bad as that is, there is a contrasting story of hope in this narrative, which brings us to our main passage today, Joshua chapter 14, starting in verse 6. Caleb said to Joshua, you know what the Lord said to Moses about me. I was 40 when Moses sent us to spy out the land, and, and I told him what I believed with all my heart. But my brothers who went up with me were frightened of the people, yet I wholly followed the Lord. And Moses swore to me that day, surely the land your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance forever. 
because you have wholly followed the Lord. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years. That's 45 years of fighting, by the way. The Lord has kept me alive these 45 years since the time while Israel walked in the wilderness. Behold, I am 85 this day. It might have been his birthday, I think, maybe. I don't know. It'd be pretty cool, right? I am still as strong as I was the day Moses sent me. I am just as strong for war and for going and for coming. Give me this hill country the Lord promised. For you heard how the Anakim were there with great and fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb. You can already see the difference, right? While the rest of Israel failed to be obedient and to follow Joshua's incredible example of leadership and courage and strength and faith, Caleb, as he always had been, remained faithful. Remember when Moses sent out those 12 spies to spy out the land to see if we should take it? Only Joshua and Caleb came back with reports that said it's a great land and God will give it to us. Let's go right now. The rest of the tribe, or the rest of the tribe's spies, the other 10, they were all afraid. The people are strong. They're too much. They didn't believe God would keep his promise. And they decided it would be best to stay comfortable and complacent in the wilderness. And there they stood for 40 years. Their advice caused a full generation to die in the wilderness, delaying Israel's inheritance for four decades. And now at 85 years old, Caleb still believes God has kept him just as strong for battle as he was when he was 40, but for a specific reason. Now, Hebron is a choice place. And later on, if you'll see, this is very significant. If you know your scripture at all, this became a very important place. And it was very important that it had been driven out and cleaned up. It was a choice place, but it was also full of evil that needed to be driven out for the land needed to be redeemed. And Caleb doesn't want to settle for some nice, comfortable field by the Sea of Galilee in a fishing village. He wants the land God promised him. And Caleb believes that God will keep his promise and use Caleb as his instrument of judgment and mercy to redeem the hill country of Hebron and to destroy evil and to welcome any sojourners who want to follow and worship Jehovah. So that's the history, right? You got that? You're, you're tracking with me. Look at the theology. What about God? What does he do here? I want you to see there are two types of heirs in this story. There are the ungrateful heirs, right? We talked about them. This was not just about, understand, this is not about inheriting a bunch of land. See, God was using Israel or wanted to use Israel as an instrument of judgment and also to proclaim the power of redemption. And the same role Jesus intended for us when he commanded us to go into all the nations with the gospel that judges and redeems is the same role he had for Israel. Yet after all Israel had seen God do, the Red Sea, the Jordan River, the walls of Jericho, 
Gibeon, all these incredible things. They'd seen all these things. Those tribes decide not to finish what God has commanded them to do for whatever reason. They're right on the cusp of their inheritance. They're right there. They just need to go and take it, but they prefer to coast and relax and get lazy and selfish instead. It seems most of Israel, sadly, it seems most of Israel at this point either didn't believe in God anymore or his promises or worse, they just stopped caring about their calling. It sure seems like most of Israel was only in the fight, sadly, they were only in the fight for the earthly blessings they might glean. Once they got the land, they were done. Just like the prodigal son, who once he got his inheritance, left his father's house to live the life that he wanted to live. Look at Luke chapter 15. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And what did the father do? Do you see the similarities here? He divided his property between them. That's not a coincidence. Scripture is tied together. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Doesn't that sound like Israel here? Somehow, somehow the nation of Israel assumed, just like we do, that their inheritance was for them. But that is not what God had in mind. Even after God had shown his power and his love and had given them this inheritance, their ungratefulness is on full display. It is the same. It is the same with ungrateful Christians today who profess to follow Jesus, but just really want the earthly benefits that being a Christian can give them. We want the healing. We want the forgiveness, we want the grace, we want the mercy, we want the love of a church family, but we're not interested in driving out evil through the proclamation of the gospel. And just like with us, their ungratefulness led to a life that over time began to look nothing like what a follower of God should look like. And over the next thousand years, there would be countless cycles of apostasy, and God would restore them, and Israel would just run right back to the apostasy. Future generations would fall into this steady, slow descent into idolatry and every manner, frankly, of sexual immorality you can think of. You know what else was really sad? Future generations would never get to experience the joy. And, and what is joy again? It is the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything this world can offer. Future generations would never experience the joy that only comes from knowing God and following him faithfully. But then there's faithful Caleb, right? That's the, the ungrateful heirs, but then we have faithful Caleb. There's the other side of this story, the grateful obedience from Caleb. He is the example that we should follow. Caleb's unwavering faith and vitality, even in his advanced age, stands in contrast to the rest of the lazy, selfish people of Israel. And what made Caleb different? What made him willing to stay in the fight even at 85 years old and risk everything that God had called, got, that he had been given for what God had called him to do? I'll tell you why. Because Caleb wasn't motivated by selfishness or pleasure. 
By faith, Caleb was always able to see beyond his own little world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Look what it says here. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's this idea of inheritance, right? All through Scripture, when it comes to God's people, there's this theme of inheritance. And this is where it begins. Did you know that part of meekness, part of meekness is the humility that puts the welfare of others before your own? Recognizing meekness is the ability to recognize that there is a much bigger picture than yourself. That's why Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. Caleb knew God's plan would benefit him, okay? He knew that the Hebron was cool and it was a great place, but he also knew that it wasn't really about him. Let me say it again. Caleb knew that God's plan would benefit him, but Caleb also knew that God's plan wasn't really just about him. I feel like in the American church specifically today, we have this blessing narcissism about us. But Caleb understood the inheritance God promised him was not for his benefit. It was about the kingdom of God's advancement. Despite his age, Caleb knew God had a job for him to clear the land that God had promised him. Basically, let me just summarize it. You never retire from God. I don't care what the age is for Social Security. <laughs> While the rest of Israel began to consume their inheritance for themselves, Caleb saw his inheritance as a path to further service to his God. Caleb understood God had more for him to do, and by faith, Caleb said, I am ready, I am still here, I don't care how old I am, I'm just as strong, I know God is with me, send me, let's roll. And while other tribes sought to use their inheritance in a way that fits their agenda, Caleb's desire is what God wanted. He understood that this was a call to the privilege not only to receive an inheritance, but to actively participate, listen, in securing the inheritances of others for them. Let me say it again in case it went in one ear and out the other. He understood it wasn't just about receiving inheritance, but it is using that inheritance to pave the path for others to receive an inheritance as well. All right, that's the theology. You tracking? personal section. What about us? I want to talk about Grace Life's inheritance. This is the sermon preview this week. Faith is not for acquiring earthly blessings, but for obedience to what God has called you to do. This is where a lot of Christians get it wrong today. These chapters aren't about land. They are about God equipping his people with what they will need for obedience to what he has called them to do. And the tension between Israel's failures and Caleb's faithfulness is the same tension that we, that you, struggle with as a church today. This is the complex challenge of following Jesus in a world that wants to tempt us with comfort and complacency. All of society is made to provide comfort and complacency for the right price. And our goal is to come to a place in life where we can just relax and not worry. Because you see, 
Our natural tendency is to take what God gives to the church for its mission, and instead we begin to, as followers of Jesus, consume it for ourselves. Because it's very easy for us to go into the land as Jesus commanded us, right? The Great Commission. And then, after we're a little while in there, we just find a spot. We settle down and we become comfortable and complacent and selfish. But we have an advantage over the tribes of Israel. The church has a distinct advantage. That is the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent. It's constantly urging us and pushing us and prodding us toward faithful service. Even when we want to get comfortable, you're, no, you don't. It's like the Spirit of God has this, has this cattle prod. Get up. It's not your inheritance. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, look at this. For we are his workmanship. You know this is one of my favorite verses in the scripture. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should or trip over. That's really what the, scre- the, the Greek is implying. He creates these good works, throws them in our path, and we just trip over them. But he prepares us for them ahead of time. So Caleb's story is a beautiful example of how God requires... But he also equips and empowers his redeemed for the calling he has for us. What God has done for grace life, we're in our seventh year, I think, now. He has prepared us in advance for unique, special, good works that he has called us to do. Is that amen? Is that an amen? Let's get back. What God has called us to do and what God has done for grace life has uniquely prepared us for special good works. I hope you recognize that. We're different. Not better. We're different. So for six years, grace life was sort of in the wilderness when we were at the comedy club. But we trusted God when we were there because we knew he had bigger plans for us. And eventually, we made the move. We didn't cross the Jordan, but we did cross US 41. (laughs) Right? And we came to our current location at Lockwood Ridge. And fueled by faith and excitement during those times, we took over this building. We invested a lot of time and money to make it a home base. This week, I was reflecting on everything that has happened in our precious church in the last 15 months. You know, we face many struggles that have tested our faith. For example, did you know almost a year ago to this week, we were almost completely out of money? I mean, we were com- like almost completely broke as a church. But we persevered. Confident, even though we had no money, that God had a greater purpose for us in this land. And our faith in his provision, his promise to provide, carried us through. And now we have adapted to our new calling. We, are, we have seen growth spiritually. We've seen growth numerically. Our impact has multiplied substantially. 
Every day of the week we are reading out, reaching out to hurting people. And just like Israel did, we have witnessed firsthand the power of our God. And it's quite stunning what he has done for us. And we aren't perfect. Far from it. But we're strong. And at this point, our church is healthy. But I have a lingering concern. Could grace life become complacent? I've seen good churches reach this stage and they would still grow even, but they turn their focus inward <clears throat> rather than reaching out to the community. My worry is that we will at some point be like the tribes of Israel, settle down, compromise, and neglect our God-given mission in this particular land that we call Mount Lockwood Ridge. Will we become content with more numeric growth and maybe even better finances? Or are we going to be like Caleb and stay hungry for what God has called us to do as a church? This is what happened with the tribes of Israel when they settled into their lands. They slowly, listen, they slowly started making excuses. I see some symptoms, frankly, that we might be getting lazy and comfortable and complacent as a church. I see some possible seeds of neglecting our calling when we neglect gathering together. When we let a handful of people do most of the work. When we take our resources and turn them inward instead of outward. When we abuse this building that we have been given and don't take care of it properly. God has not given us all of this inheritance just so that we as a church could find a place in the land and become a comfortable group of church people. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, look at this. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the what? inheritance as your reward for you are serving the Lord Christ there is no such thing as an inheritance for those who aren't working heartily are there signs in your life individually that you have started to waste your redemption inheritance on yourself instead of using it for the kingdom of God I can tell you one sign is if you're just thinking about all the blessings God has given you there's a sign have you entered the land just for earthly blessings? Or are you still fully committed to what God has called us to do? So Grace Life has been given this beautiful rugged hill country that needs to be taken over with our proclamation of the gospel. And just as God made Caleb strong at 85, God has made Grace Life strong. He has equipped us in a way that is very unique would you agree, for a very special calling. And like Caleb, we have been assigned good works which God prepared beforehand, and we are really tripping over them right now. We've got Monday night. We've got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're starting Recovery Church at Grace Life in October on Tuesday nights. There was a long-standing... There was a long-standing building, uh, the uh, 
gratitude club that closed down, we're picking up that slack. We're, we're providing meetings in a place that isn't just a club. It is a place that loves the gospel. We have the Bible studies on Thursday night. We have Bible studies in this building right here on Wednesday nights. We have a lot of really cool things going on. We're just tripping over them. And our good works combined with our inheritance are a critical part of God's plan of redemption here in our city. You know, one of my fears for Grace Life is we become so comfortable, we leave part of our inheritance unclaimed. I don't want to miss any of it. I fear one day Grace Life will taste enough of our inheritance and become a prodigal church, distracted and drifting and selfish. We will know when it starts to happen. It always starts when people neglect gathering in community, when we compromise our message so it's less offensive, or we become lazy, or worse, we become selfish with all the resources that God has given us. Can you imagine the impact that would have on future generations at Grace Life and in this place that we've inherited? Ephesians 1.18, this is the last verse of the day. The eyes of your hearts having been enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which, you, to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The story of Israel and Caleb should inspire us to be on guard against this lazy, selfish complacency that might creep in. We must remember, we weren't given this inheritance for our own benefit. It's for our part in the kingdom of God. And the calling God has given grace life is unique to any other church in our city. It is woven into the fabric of God's redemptive plan. Now listen, we cannot do some of the incredible great things other churches are doing in our city. We just can't. But you know what? They can't do what we can. And just like, listen, just like Grace Life desperately needs those other churches in our city to do their job well, and, and many of them are, they need us to do ours. There are people who need the gospel in a way that only Grace Life, with its unique inheritance, is equipped to proclaim it. We cannot afford to become passive recipients. We must remain active participants in what God has called us to do. We cannot get comfortable. We must keep going into the land and driving out evil through the proclamation of the gospel. Dear Jesus, we don't want to lose or leave behind any part of the inheritance you've given us. Lord, please guard us. Use your spirit, use your word to guard us against complacency and selfishness. And comfort, especially guard us against exploitation of others. Lord, we don't want to abuse our inheritance. We don't want to waste our inheritance. We want to spend every last dollar of it, every last morsel of ground of it, every last brick in this building of it on what you have called us to do. We don't want to leave anything behind. Lord, keep us like Caleb strong unto the end because we know that you have promised that you are with us. In Jesus' name.